So when he was talking about it's kind of awkward to preach to people that are like five rows back, I'm not going to force you to come forward, but I did start ministry doing children's ministry, and I always say that they, it was so neat because they taught me a different way of doing ministry. So when I would come up, we actually had a stage that was just like this in our children's group, and um, I would be sharing a Bible story, and I would look down, and I would have like a fourth grader wrapped around my leg, like... And it was just, just such a different experience from when I went in to teach adults. The other thing about kids is, is that when you start speaking to them, if they don't understand what you're saying or you're boring, they tell you. So I would be giving a message and somebody would be like, I'm bored. Like, it was, it was great because kind of taught me, taught, adults won't do that. Y'all are too polite. You might think it inside your head, but you won't say it out loud. So, um, Hopefully you don't think it this morning, but um, yeah. So my name is Nisa, and um, my husband and I have been finding a home here at Hope recently. Uh, we really love how welcoming and just warm y'all have been to us. We're so grateful. Um, we got married about four years ago. I'll give you just a quick little introduction. We got married about four years ago. Um, the same time that we got married, I was resigning from my job at Living Streams Arcadia. My husband was full-time ministry in Chandler and I was full-time ministry in um, Arcadia and we just felt like, oh, our lives needed to come together. So I moved to Chandler um, and that was in March. I, um, I had been going to Fuller Seminary and so on our honeymoon, I actually took my last final, if you all wanna know how crazy I am. Um, uh, and then in, uh, let's see, the week before I graduated in June, I found out that I was going to be expecting a baby. So then the next year, when my husband and I were celebrating our one-year anniversary, we had a one-week-old. And then two years later, almost exactly, we had another baby. So we have Miles and Hannah. Uh, Miles is two and a half. And Hannah just uh, hit six months, and they are so much fun, and they are such a joy, and it's such a different season for me because I was, I had 12 years of ministry experience before I took off to set and be a mom, and so it was, it's, it's been a new season for me. Um, I am full-time right now at home with my kiddos, but then I'm also a volunteer with Young Life. My husband's on staff. And so Young Life ministers to adolescents, and our mission is that we would introduce um, adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in our faith. So our home is regularly a place of homemade meals and respite to a lot of at-risk youth in Chandler. Um, that is, that's been like the joy um, of the last couple of years for me, other than like having children and being married, has been getting to see young people meet the Lord and their lives transformed has been really incredible. Um, it's also been really hard because they, it gets a little crazy sometimes. Um, but it's made life, um, it's made life more full. And I feel like I've gotten to be up close and personal with the gospel. And so my heart has always been for the church but I find myself most at home um, with people who are seeking out um, who Jesus might be. Um, so I'm going to read to you today, we're, um, we're continuing on with the heartbeat of hope, and one of the heartbeats of hope is that we would engage the world around us, and so we are going to read today from Luke chapter 4, I'm going to set the scene for you a little bit. Um, do y'all have that slide for this? You do? Um, okay. Um, I'm going to set the scene for you a little bit first, though. In Luke chapter 4, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
Um, He'd recently been baptized by John the Baptist, and during this scene, maybe you've read it before, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, and the voice of the Father opened up in the heavens and declared, this is my son, um, whom, whom I love. And then Jesus actually went on into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And towards the end of his fast, um, Satan came to him and tempted him. And Jesus responds every time with temptation, with scripture. And he leaves the desert victorious. And then in the book of Luke, we fast forward to this scene right here that we're about to read. And Jesus is in the synagogue. um, And it says that this is something that was common for him to be reading in the synagogue. And, but we don't have a whole lot of Jesus' messages that he preached in the synagogue. So I think this is really special because we get a glimpse into what Jesus was speaking to the people when he was giving a sermon. Um, awesome. So Luke chapter 4, verse 14, if you would join me there. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So anytime we get a glimpse of Jesus teaching, I always love to like listen up. Like this is where I want to get on the edge of my seat with the Lord. Like, okay, you've given us, you've you've given us a piece of words that came from your mouth. What is this all about, Lord? And so I thought I would break it down a little bit what the message is. And the first thing that Jesus says, he says, the Spirit has anointed me, which means God has chosen me. He comes before the people and he says, God has chosen me. Now, he's in a synagogue, which means he's speaking to Jewish people. So the first hearers of this message are Jewish. However, the book of Luke was actually written to followers of Christ that would have not been first Jewish. All right, so if you follow with me there. So we're, he's speaking a message right now to the Jewish people, but if you're actually reading this at the time when it was written down or when it was read out loud after Luke had written it, you probably were somebody who wasn't Jewish, which meant this, which meant that if you were trying to follow Christ or you're trying to figure out who Jesus was, you felt like you were a little bit of an outsider. You felt like maybe you didn't quite fit in. And the book of Luke over and over and over again shows that Jesus, if I was going to rename Luke, I would say it's something like, um, Jesus came for the outsider, because he shows us over and over again that he came for the outsider. You know, it starts actually with um, Zechariah uh, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah getting word that his wife is going to have a baby. Zechariah is a priest, and he's standing at the Holy of Holies when the angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him, you're going to have a baby. And this man didn't believe it. Like the guy who should believe it, the priest, right? Who's at the Holy of Holies. 
who's where, the, where he's supposed to encounter the presence of God, sees an angel, gets a message from the Lord, doesn't believe it, um, and actually he's silenced until his baby is born. And then it cuts over to Mary, who's this little nothing girl from a little nothing town where nobody would have ever thought twice about who she was. And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you're going to bear a son, and he's actually going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And Mary says, all right, I'm in. Right? So from the very beginning of Luke, and he'll do it over and over and over again, I challenge you, read the book of Luke and look for where he, where he loves the outsider, where he loves the one that feels like they don't fit in or they're not the first in line. And he does it again um, right here. And so Jesus says, I'm the man for the job. And the second message that he gives is good news to the poor. And so in ancient Mediterranean society, poor was not just what we would think of as poor. You were poor if you were economically poor. But your education, your gender, your family heritage, your religious connection, your vocation, all of those things made up poor. So who is poor? The spiritually poor, the economically poor, the wrong gender poor, the wrong family poor, the wrong religion poor. You get the idea, right? Poor is not just about money. And to the poor, Jesus says, I have good news. So this is his message. I have good news. What's the good news? The good news is freedom to the prisoners. And a term that might be even better put here, you might see it in a couple of other versions, or if you open up your Bible, he might have said release to the prisoners. To the prisoners, release. So you who have been a prisoner, now a prisoner is probably, might be somebody who's wrongfully held captive or wrongfully put in prison, but most likely a prisoner might be an oppressor. So he says to the oppressors, who by the way are often on the outside of society, he says to you I bring release, I bring release. You get to be pardoned. You're forgiven. Then he says, to the blind, I'm going to give you sight. And we know that he does this physically, right? We've, we see him in the Gospels give men their sight. And then we see him do it spiritually. And then we see him do it a little bit physically and spiritually. Like if we look at the life of Saul, right? Saul was a devout Jewish man, and he didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was. He's walking one day and encounters Jesus. He's blinded by the light, and he, because he was already spiritually blind. When the Lord, when he meets Jesus, all of a sudden he's given back his spiritual sight, and a couple of days later, given back his physical sight. But Jesus says, this is part of the good news. You who are blind, you will receive sight. You're going to get your vision corrected, he says. You get your vision corrected. You get your spiritual vision corrected. Where you've gone wrong, you get your physical, physical vision corrected. He says, to the oppressed, freedom. To the oppressed, release. You who are oppressed, he has come to bring liberty to you. Release is the good news of his message. Now, I think it's pretty cool because release is often the term that Jesus uses for forgiveness. In fact, um, the Greek word for forgiveness 
would be the same word used for when you pull back a bow and go, release, that's forgiveness. In fact, the same word for forgiveness, that release, would be the same word that Jesus yelled out to his men when he said, um, let go of your nets. Like when, when they were out fishing and they were having trouble, he said, let, let your nets go. Release your nets. Let your nets go. That same word is the word used for forgiveness. Forgiveness literally means release. And that's what Jesus comes before us and he says, this is what I'm offering you. I'm offering you release. And then he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, remember that the first audience is a Jewish audience, and so they're going to maybe understand this a little bit differently than we might hear and the first hearers that were reading this would hear. But he might have even been hinting, I think, at the year of Jubilee, a time when in the Old Testament when your debts were erased. And I feel like that's like something for us in our American culture where we can really cling on to, right? If you think, okay, all of a sudden, you don't have a car payment, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have any credit card payment, you feel completely free because you don't have any debt. And Jesus says, this is a year of the Lord's favor. You get to have release from all debt right? And so this was the response of his followers. They were like, all right, we're in. No, if you read the headline, maybe you saw, oh, wait. They so it starts out in verse, uh, in verse 16, um, where it says that Jesus had a fan club. Like, they loved him. Like, when he started this message, they were all in. They were at the edge of their seats. They loved hearing from him. It ends at the end of this passage. If you look at the end of the paragraph, we're not going to read that today. Otherwise, my sermon would be like an hour and a half. But if you look at the end of this passage, you'll see they chase him out of town. They hear this message and they chase him out of town. Uh, He escapes. But this is the deal. Um, It's because his followers, I believe, have this idea of us and them. So they were always concerned about them. Like, it's them who really need to get it right. In fact, they even got rebuked by John the Baptist in chapter 3. John the Baptist, they, they say, what? We're, we're, we're God's chosen. And John the Baptist says, hey, if God wants to, he can raise up sons for Abraham out of these stones right here. So he kind of, John the Baptist already kind of gave him something. And um, the, God doesn't need you to fulfill his plan is what John said. And then Jesus comes before them, and they still kind of have this attitude. They still kind of this, no, it's them, it's not us. In fact, they so much have this attitude that it's them, it's not us, that they completely miss the good news. Completely miss the good news. But what about us? Okay, so it's kind of my pet peeve when people look at the Israelites or the Jewish people in the synagogues or even the Pharisees, and they go, oh, man, they did not have it together. And that's because, like, I'm, I'm in the front of the line when it comes to not having it together, and I, for whatever reason, never respond good the first time. So I know that if Jesus was giving this message, I would totally be in that crowd of, like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I want to be a woman who responds really well the first time. My husband responds really well the first time. Like the first time that, like, I, I don't know. He's like always got a good response. I, my, the first time I, I always wrestle with something. First time I hear something. Even if it's something good, I don't always have a good response. 
And so I look at this and I see, oh man, that's exactly where my heart is at. But see, Jesus, this is his vision, this is his mission, and this is his message. When he asks us to engage the world, this is what he asks us to get on board with. He asks us to get on board with bringing release, freedom to the oppressor, to the oppressed, to the prisoner, to bring sight to the blind, to bring freedom to the captive, good news to the poor. But we can't go anywhere unless we realize that that's us right? Sorry if I'm whispering and it didn't. We can't go anywhere unless we don't realize that this message is for us. When Jesus speaks of the poor, he means me. I I said this a couple of weeks ago in a campaigners, which is our Young Life Bible study. We meet on Thursday nights. Um, We do a little um, dinner together with high school friends, and then we open up the word, and so they know what to expect every week. And I I said to them, we were reading this passage of scripture, and I said to them, who is the poor? And I said, by the poor, he means me. And they all like looked around my house, which is not like some glorious castle, but a lot of the kids that are in my room, were in my family room, live in the projects. So uh, they were like, you have plenty of furniture, you have enough food to feed, you know, 20 or 25 of us. They were like looking at what I was wearing. They're like, you're not poor. And I said it again. I said, who's the poor? Me. Because when he says poor, he means me. And they started, I said it a couple more times. They started to get it. Oh, wait. Yeah. Like we feel when we're physically poor, but man, to be apart from Jesus, that's a poor that's bigger than any kind of economic type of poor. And when he speaks of the captive, he's talking about me. And when he speaks of the oppressor, he's talking about me. And when he says, I'm going to bring sight to the blind, he's speaking about me again. And when he says he's come to make the oppressed free, also me. My identity has to be so deeply wrapped up in the truth of Jesus, who Jesus is that I don't get to go anywhere without knowing where I've come from. And honestly, this is an everyday thing. It's not a, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's an every single morning, I'm lost and I'm found. And the Lord's doing a work of sanctification in my heart. And if you want to, you get to join along in. You get to say, yeah, that's me too. But I'm not going to say that to you. Because the world outside, we all know this, right? They're not interested in perfect Christians coming to them. If I come before my kids, my high school kids, and I act like I've got it all together, man, they call me out in a heartbeat. They know I don't have it all together. The last week they were asking me questions about marriage and, and, and like they don't just, they don't like sugarcoat things. Like they just give it to you straight. And they, they know if you're not giving them what's on your heart. And so what I'm talking about is that we get before the Lord and there's this transformation, there's this exchange, there's this encounter that happens with us and the Lord where this truth of what Jesus says really becomes a reality in our life. And so before this message goes anywhere, because I'll tell you what, in my life, in Chandler, in Arizona, in the United States, I want to see 
Jesus bring good news to the poor. I want to see freedom and release for the oppressed. I want to see sight for the blind. I want to see the um, prisoners and the oppressed free. But this message cannot go anywhere until it starts with me, until it starts with you. And Jesus, he came, he brought a message of hope and release of debts cleared. It reminds me of um, when God says, this is, this, this is, these are my greatest commands, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and that you would love the neighbor as you love yourself. I'm not saying we, we're supposed to be selfish Christians and so concerned and worried about who we are. What I'm saying is, is that that part of loving the Lord our God with all our heart is that that becomes a truth and a reality in our life that when I engage with the world, it's no longer an us and them situation, but I enter it into it with a we. we. We need the Lord. We need his good news. We need his freedom, right? It's gotta be a we. It can't be an us and them. If it's an us and them, we, we forget. And I, I think about the history of Israel, and if you think about the Old Testament, the history, history of the Israelites, you can go through hundreds of years where the entire, um, the entire um, lifestyle history gets changed by whether or not Israel remembers what God had done for them or whether or not they forgot. There's generations where it wasn't carried, and there's generations where it was carried tightly. And you'll see, it says it all throughout the Old Testament. And they'd remembered what the Lord had done. Or they'd forgotten what the Lord had done. And what I believe that is, is it's a remember what the Lord had done, has done in your life. Remember what he's done with the gospel. Remember what he's done in bringing you good news and setting you free. Remember what he's done in the reality of, like, I, I woke up in the morning with pride and he met me there. Whatever it is. Well, if, if it's an addiction, if it's anger, if whatever it is, like the Lord wants to meet us. And if we're people that continue to think that it's them and not us, that the message is never going to be clearly communicated. And so I would love for us to take a moment um, as we kind of end our time together today. And Jesus, his, his, I want to give us an opportunity to release whatever we might need to to Jesus. I want to give us opportunities for you to quiet and silently in your heart. This is where if I was talking to my high school kids, they would be like, you want us to do something out loud? No, no, I don't want you to do anything out loud. I don't want you to do anything publicly. But what I would love for you to do is I'm going to lead us in a little bit of a prayer. And if you have something that you want to settle with the Lord in your heart or anything that you need to hand to him, if, you, if you've realized as I'm reading this, oh, a way that you've been held captive if you've realized as I'm reading this, a way that you have been an oppressor. If there's anything you need to get with the Lord on, I'm gonna give you in a moment to do that. And then this is, this is the good news that Jesus said in 1 John 1, 9, whoever is faithful to confess their sins, I'm faithful to forgive them every time. And so that's where he wants to meet us today. And so I'm just gonna pray. And then I'm going to give you kind of some instructions while I pray, which this might be a little bit different or new, but it's not me and the Lord do this all the time, so he's not going to be surprised by us doing this. And, um, uh, and, then, and then I'll kind of um, end us out. So 
Um, I'm just going to give you an opportunity. So, Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. We thank you, Lord, for the good news. Father God, we do not want to be people that miss the good news. We don't want to sit and hear the message, Lord, and hear what you're saying, God, and miss it and think that, oh, it's other people that need it and not us. And God, we thank you for the ways that you've already transformed our hearts and minds, but we also thank you, God, that that work of sanctification, God, that work of making us new and making us more like you, Lord, that you're, it's ongoing, that you're not done with it. And so right now, Lord, with me and my friends, we just, um, Lord, we just bring up anything that might be on our hearts, and we're just going to give it to you, and we're just going to... Um, we're going to release it to you, God, as you, as you release us. Lord, we're going to ask for forgiveness. We're going to confess. And so would you just take a moment to share with anything that you might need to share with the Lord? And um, I'll pick back up in just a moment. God, be comfortable with the silence. Lord, thank you, God. Thank you that you promised that release, Lord. I, I, I just pray, God, today, Lord, that there would be um, something, God, that happens in our hearts that you would let us know that we are freed from things that we have carried, that you would um, bring a release, Lord. That, uh, Lord, we thank you that you already do it in the spirit. We ask, God, that you would do it in the physical, too, that you would bring a release, and a freedom about in our hearts. And Lord, we just cling to that truth, Lord, in 1 John 1, 9, Lord, that where you say, whoever is faithful to confess their sins, that you are faithful to forgive. Yeah. I, just, I, I just feel like the... Um, Lord wants you to know that you are, um, you're not counted out and you're not disqualified. If you needed to hear you're not disqualified, you're not disqualified. Thank you, God, that you call us son and you call us daughter and you say, I'm proud of you and I love you. Thank you, Lord, that your word says how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that he would not only call us his children, but that we would get to be. So we love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so do we have the worship team coming up? All right, worship team can come up. And um, I, I just want to encourage you this week as you engage with whoever God has given you influence over or influence with, whoever you walk in relationship with, whoever is sitting next to you um, in a meeting or at school. Um, 
I, I just encourage you to, to take what's been transformed in your heart and take your story outside these doors and bring it into the world. And so I, I have a friend who is in his 60s now and he's lived a lot of life and had a hard life and he tells this story about when he was 20 years old. He didn't meet the Lord until he was 40. When he was 20 years old, every day he used to come and he would sit in college in this class next to this girl that would doodle the name of Jesus. And he said, I was so broken and I was, I, I was just desperate for anything that might bring me hope. And he goes, and I would sit next to her. And if you saw him, you would not think, like you would think this is a man who's got it together. Like he just like carries himself. He's just, you know, like you just think like he doesn't need anything. He said, I would sit quietly next to that girl. I'd even get there early to make sure that my class, my seat was gonna be next to hers. And I would say in my heart over and over again, oh, Lord, somebody, please tell me something about Jesus. Turn and tell me something about Jesus. Tell me something about Jesus. And every day in class, he would ask, tell me something about Jesus. Tell me something about Jesus, but never said it out loud. And he said, I went the whole semester and she never told me anything about Jesus. Lord bless her, like, that's been me, I know it. But I don't want it to be me again. Think about the person who's sitting next to you who it doesn't look like they need Jesus. Maybe it doesn't look like they need hope. Whoever God has put in your sphere of influence. The good news of Jesus is that he came to bring good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the prisoner, to bring sight to the blind, to bring release to the captive, and now we get to be the bearers of that message. Amen.